I'm going to, uh, I'm going to commit two cardinal sins uh, in the message for this morning. I'm going to let you know what they are up front, just, you know, because truth and advertising, right? Uh, number one, uh, this is the Sunday before Christmas, and typically you would come with a traditional Christmas message or Christmas sermon. You would do something out of Matthew or out of Luke or maybe one of the, uh, the virgin birth prophecies in Isaiah 7 or something like that. Not only am I not going to do that, that's the first cardinal sin. The second cardinal sin is I'm going to continue with our, with our Genesis series and it just so happens that where we are in Genesis right now is, is chapter 5, which is a genealogy, right? And I can, yes, absolutely. Some of you, you're sitting on the edge of your seat just to hear that we have come to a genealogy because you can't wait to hear who begat whom and how long, all right? So not only are we not going to do a traditional Christmas uh, message, we are going to do the genealogy, and I'm actually going to read the genealogy. That's right, okay? And so this is not now all joking aside. One of the reasons that we're going to read the genealogy is because Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed and that it's profitable. All Scripture includes genealogies. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read chapter 5. You follow along. Here's what I would encourage you to do. As we read, you listen for the pattern that develops in this chapter. There is a very clear, distinct pattern, almost a rhythmic sort of pattern that you will, you will notice that begins to develop. And then secondly, as you listen and as you pick up on what that pattern is by way of repetition... You also want to listen and take note of the places where that pattern is broken or is interrupted. Okay, so here we go. Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan and had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Kenan lived 70 years and became the father of Mahalalel. Then Kenan lived 840 years and after he became the father of Mahalalel and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and became the father of Yared. 
Then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Yared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Yared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Yared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Yared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us comfort from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Even this genealogy is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word as it has been revealed to us in Genesis chapter 5. Encourage us in our hope that we have not only in the Christmas season, but at all times. Amen. Did you hear the pattern? What, what did you hear? And he died. And he died. And he died. All right, so we get to the end of Genesis 4, which is where we were last week. And in the second half of Genesis 4, you've got this compare and contrast between the line of Cain and the line of Seth, the godly line and the ungodly line, or the godly seed and the ungodly seed, this conflict that's going to run. And we mentioned last week how the line of Cain, the ungodly seed, is known or makes a name for itself by building a city and by building culture, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's actually a blessing. In contrast, though, the godly line that flows from Seth makes a name for itself not by building something in this world, but by building up the knowledge of God. While they're naming cities, while they're developing culture, Seth and his line are calling on the name of the Lord. So we come to chapter 5, and what we find is is that we are turning away from the ungodly seed, and the focus is exclusively in chapter 5 on the godly line that comes from Adam to Seth on down through ten generations. And we would expect that as we trace out the godly line that we would see something to be excited about or that we would have something that would be dramatic or awe-inspiring. And yet what we find 
is death occurs with each and every generation. Here's one of the things I think Genesis 5 does. This is not the only thing that Genesis 5 does. But I think that when you look at the pattern, the repetition of life, of new life in sons and descendants, ending in death, you cannot get away from the fact that death is inescapable. But, although death is inescapable, there are glimmers of blessing and hope even in the face of death. I think that's one of the benefits of Genesis 5, that it shows us blessing and hope in the face of death. So, for example, there are three places in Genesis 5 where you don't have the pronounced pattern of so-and-so lived so many years and gave birth to this son. He lived more years, had more sons and daughters, and then he died. There are three places where that pattern is broken. One is at the very beginning. When chapter 5 opens up, you have a statement made about Adam being made in the likeness of God, and then Adam having a son, Seth, who is in his image and likeness. That's the first time. The second time is when we get to Enoch. Death is not mentioned with Enoch. And then the third time that we get a break from the pattern is when we get to Noah, we break from the pattern to hear why Noah was named as he was. So start with the, with the first one, the introduction to chapter 5. When you read through chapter 5 and you see that you are confronted over and over again with death, it's worth noting that the way that chapter 5 starts off is with a reminder that there is some form of ongoing continued blessing that God is continuing to deliver to his people. No matter how fruitful, no matter how long your life is, you will find your end in death. That is inescapable. And yet, in the first five verses... We recognize that even though death is awaiting every single descendant of Abraham because of the curse, that doesn't mean that God cannot still be kind and gracious in the in-between time. When we're told in chapter 5 that Adam is made in the likeness of God and that Adam has a son, Seth, who is made in his image and likeness, one of the things that we're to conclude is that it's not just simply Adam who is made in the image and likeness of God and then sin comes in and wrecks it, well, that throws all of that to the wind, but that because of God's kindness, not only is Adam in the image and likeness of God, but so is Seth. And from Seth... So is Enosh, and from Enosh on and on. In other words, every single member derived from Adam, every single person who draws breath has by God's kindness been created to carry the image and likeness of God even though they are born into this world as rebels against the God who made them. Even after Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion, even though they have openly declared war against God, and even though sin continues to run rampant, 
and embed itself deeper and deeper into the human fiber, even so, God continues by His mercy, by His grace, to bless every single person with His stamp, with His mark, so that as His image bearers, they can be His representatives in this world that He has made, simply because they have drawn their existence from a contaminated seed or from a rebellious nature does not mean that there is not good that God can still bring from that seed. But also along with that, it's not just that the image and likeness is being transferred from one fallen man, Adam, to his son and his descendants after him, but the very fact that Adam is able to be fruitful and multiply after his rebellion against God is itself a sign of God's blessing. Remember back in Genesis 1, we said one of the interesting things in 1, 26 and 27, when God says, uh, God creates people, man and woman, right? And then the text tells us, and he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And we said, isn't that interesting that this blessing that God gives comes in the form of a command? Do you remember that? Just nod your head, pretend like you do, right? Okay, yes, good, you do. The blessing that God pronounces over his people comes in the form of a command. He is giving them a command to obey and also the ability to do it. This is continuing on in Genesis chapter 5. Adam and all of his descendants are being fruitful and multiplying. In other words, the commanded blessing that God gave to his people is still in work, is still at play. But we still come back to the realization that although God is kind to see to it that his image remains stamped on our very being, that although the commanded blessing to be fruitful and multiply is still coming to fruition, is still being fulfilled, no matter how blessed, no matter how fruitful we are, no matter how much we realize or experience God's blessing, everyone comes to the end of life to meet death. Everyone. No one outlives death. If you were to live for 900 years, do you know how your life would end? With death. If you were to live for 90 years, do you know how your life would end? With death. If you live for 50, for 20, whatever it is, life in this cursed realm, albeit full of the blessing and the goodness of God, this life ends in death. But there are two places where we have signs of hope that maybe, just maybe, death and pain and suffering will not be the last word. We get that even in Genesis 5. The very first time that we get that is when we get to Enoch in verse 21. Right, right about the time that we're about to nod off and doze off because of the boredom of repetition. We come to verse 21 
And rather than hearing that he lived so many years and then he died, we read that Enoch walked with God 300 years. He had other sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. There's one man in chapter 5 who escapes death, Enoch. How does he do it? How how does Enoch escape death when everyone else encounters death? Yeah. We're not really given a, a very detailed exposition of that. All we're simply told is he walked with God. Now, a couple things to take note of here. I'm, I'm, I want to dig in here in just a second into, into Enoch to try to flesh this out a little bit more. But the phrasing here, I think, is important because oftentimes in the Old Testament, you'll hear, you'll hear statements or descriptions of people who walk before God, but this is not Enoch walked before God, Enoch walked with God. Now, either, either statement, if God were to say that about you or about me, that that merit walked before God. That would be a tremendous description. Usually when that description is made, it's a way to say that this man or this woman walked in obedience and in submission to the Lord as their king, walked before him, right? Everything that he does is in the sight of their Lord and their king, their sovereign. But to say that Enoch walked with God communicates not first and foremost the issue of obedience and submission, although that clearly would have been there, but it has the idea of intimacy and fellowship. Enoch, in other words, communed with God, and God took him. Do not miss this simple but profound observation from Genesis 5. Of all the people in Genesis 5 who live, and of all the years that they lived, who lives the shortest life in Genesis chapter 5? Enoch. It may be that one of the things that we ought to consider from Genesis 5 is that although long life and family and blessings are a tremendous gift from the Lord, and they are, long life is not necessarily the greatest blessing that we can have. If you were to read Genesis 5 with the intent that it seems to be given to us right here, who is it that has the greatest blessing in chapter 5? Enoch. Because Enoch doesn't live as long, but you know what he also doesn't do? He doesn't die. But more important than that, he doesn't die because the Lord takes him and he is with the Lord. That is a greater blessing than living a long and productive and fruitful life. Don't get me wrong. Living a long, fruitful, productive life is held up in Scripture over and over again as itself a sign of the kindness and goodness of God. But it is a necessary reminder to those of us who so easily get caught up in the good things of this life that this life is not our greatest good. 
God is. So it may even be, from time to time, worth asking ourselves, just thought experiment, if it were put to me, if it were put to you, you have two options. You can have a guaranteed life expectancy of 100 years, or you can go be with the Lord at 50. What would you take? careful how you answer. The fact that a question like that would give me pause is an indication of how little I value being in the presence of the Lord. It should be a no-brainer for me to think about the end of my life whenever it would come and to say, oh, but yes, but when that ends, I will be in the presence of the Lord, and that is far better. And this is the hope that continues to run through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. In the Psalms especially, you have these wild, ridiculous statements like, your loving kindness is better than life. The kindness, the love, knowing the loving kindness of God is better than life. Can you say that? You have in Psalm 49, 15, a statement like this, God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will, most of our versions say, for He will receive me. The verb that's used there is the verb that's actually used of Enoch to say that the Lord took him. That's used in Psalm 49, 15, so it was something like this, God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will take me. I want what Enoch had. I want the Lord to take me so that I can be with him. Or at least that's what I ought to want. Hold your place here. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. There is a tendency or... a habit of ours sometimes to think, did I say Hebrews chapter 11? Yes, Hebrews chapter 11. There's a tendency sometimes to to think, to hear about these biblical characters and to attribute to them some sort of otherworldly kind of quality. Like that they're just... They're made out of different stuff than what we are. So Enoch walked with God. He communed with God. And in that intimate fellowship, God took him. But, but here's what I want you to notice. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse 5 and 6. 
by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Verse 6, and without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What, what does that tell us about Enoch communing with God and being taken up? I think there is a tendency for me to read Genesis 5 and to think that when I read that Enoch walked with God, that what Enoch was getting was every day he was going out and he was taking his little walk in the woods, and here comes the Lord to appear to him in some sort of heavenly vision or some sort of ecstatic experience. I don't think that's what life was like for Enoch. And the reason I don't think that's what life was like for Enoch is because of what Hebrews 11 says, that Enoch was pleasing to the Lord in his communion with the Lord because he was doing it by faith. What is the definition of faith in Hebrews 11? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Enoch did not commune with God, did not have this intimate relationship with God because he saw things that we do not see. In fact, if Hebrews 11 means anything, it would seem to indicate that Enoch saw nothing different than what you and I see. Enoch knew what it meant to live in a world that was broken. Enoch knew what it meant to live and to lose family members and friends. He knew what it meant to live under the shadow of death every single day. God didn't give him a different life. His life was different because of the way he tied it back into the Lord. And here is where Enoch and every single other person who would seek to dwell with God and know God has to end up. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Enoch pleased God, and because of that, God took him. Without faith, we're told in the next verse, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. In other words, one of the things that marks out communion with God, intimacy, fellowship with God, is not merely thinking that God is there. That is part of it. You must know and believe that God really does exist. But it is living your life with the expectation that your pursuit of God will be beneficial and rewarding in the end. It means that even though every day looks like the day before, you know what you do when you wake up in the morning? You remind yourselves of the promises of God. And you admit and you confess that even though you are not seeing yet what you would like to see. 
you confess that one day you will. You confess and you preach to yourself that God is and that he is a rewarder. He rewards those who seek him. And the more that I confess that, the more that I preach that to my soul over and over and over again, the more I find that the rewards of this life pale in comparison to the rewards that are to come. And then maybe, as I continue to find more excitement and more joy in the rewards that are, that are to come in the presence of the Lord, maybe I find that slowly but surely, I begin to say things like, your loving kindness is better than life. Enoch shows us in Genesis 5 that for all those who commune with God, there is reason to believe and reason to hope that death will not be the last and final word. Skip down to Noah. Back in Genesis 5. The third place where the pattern of life, descendants, and then ultimately death is broken is at the end of the chapter where Noah comes onto the scene. And we're given a brief mention of the fact that Lamech, Noah's father, names him Noah and why he names him Noah. So in Genesis 5, what verse are we at? We're in verse 29. Lamech, his father, called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us, New American Standard says rest, but it's probably better to read comfort. All right, this one will give us comfort from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Do you hear that? This is Noah marks ten generations on from Adam, who knows how many hundreds of years. Do you hear what you hear what Lamech is saying when, when his son is born? I'm going to name him, him Noah, which a little bit of a, a play in the Hebrew has shades of similarities with the word rest, but then also has connections with the word comfort. So rest and comfort is the idea. He names his son comfort and rest. That's what he names him. Why do you name your son? Why do you name your son comfort and rest? Because that's what you're looking for.
We are 10 generations on. <coughs> we are 10 generations on. And humanity is desperate for comfort and rest from the curse. They know God's blessing. They know that God is giving life, that He's sustaining life, that He is fulfilling their existence with family, with descendants, with opportunities for joy and delight. But there still hangs the shadow of death, and there still is the daily reminder that we're all toiling under the effects of the curse. Anyone know or live with the experience of the curse today? Anyone? Yes. You ever have one of those days or weeks or months or years, 2020, where you just say, I just want to be done. This is exhausting. Can we do something different? Right? Living in this world means living with the constant reminder of brokenness. Living with the constant reminder that things break down. Living with the constant reminder that no matter how hard you work, no matter how diligent you are, your work is going to be frustrated. It's going to, in some cases, be short-lived or it will be undermined. If it's not for God's sustaining grace to make permanent these impermanent things that we do. But we live every day with a reminder, big and small, that this world suffers under the weight of sin's curse. Why, why, why does Lamech name his son comfort and rest? I mean, because he's looking for that. That's what he desperately wants, right? Maybe this one. Where does he get the idea that maybe this one Maybe this son will give us comfort and rest. Where does that idea come from? It comes from Genesis 3, right? It comes from God telling Adam and Eve there's going to be hostility and conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, but the seed of the woman ultimately will bring victory over the forces of evil and wickedness. There is a hope that there will be some sort of victory that comes through the seed of the woman. Here is Lamech. You know what he's desperately hoping? He's hoping that his son is the one who is going to bring about that victory to give them the comfort that they cannot find. Is Noah going to do that? Again, be careful how you answer. It would seem that Noah does not give the comfort and the rest ultimately that Lamech is after. You know why? Because after you go past Noah, you know what God's people are always looking for and what God continues to promise to his people throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament? Comfort and rest. Now, if God had already given comfort and rest, why would you still be expecting it? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and the godly line bearing under the weight of the curse 
longs for the day that they can say, here is the one who is going to give us victory and freedom from this oppression, from this weight, from this burden. People, do you understand? That's what we celebrate at Christmas. There's your Christmas message right there. What Lamech and all of the people of God for generations hoped for hoping against hope, we now can say, we know who it is. We know who the seed is, the deliverer who would come, who is going to bring that freedom and that rest from the weight of the curse, and it's Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know what it means to commune with God, if you don't know what it means to find liberty and freedom from sin's curse through Jesus Christ, You need to understand, you will never, ever escape the gloom and the fear of death unless you come to know Jesus Christ, because he's the only one that gives you freedom and victory from that curse. And if that's you, don't leave when we're done today. Stay. I would love to talk to you. I would love to tell you and to show you how and why it is that you can know for certain that the curse is no longer the defining word over your life and over your destiny. But even if you do know the Lord, even if you do know the one who has set you free from the burden of the curse that held you for so long, take Scripture passages like this and press it down onto your heart and mind over and over again to remind yourself of the fact that whatever simple distractions or fleeting pleasures that come from gifts, receiving or giving, those things are short-lived. If all that you have for your hope is what's built in this life, we, Paul says, we of all people are most to be pitied. Are you approaching the Christmas season reminding yourself of the significance of the fact that the Son of God takes on human flesh so that He can suffer the effects of sin's curse, so that He Himself can encounter death to set you and me free from that, knowing that death is not going to be the final word? And because of that promise and that joy, is your life one in which you are growing in your fellowship and communion with the Lord because you find the promises and the hope in Christ that God offers far more rewarding than anything that this life could possibly hope to offer you? Is that you? Are you able to live... In a gloomy world, are you able to live in a gloomy 2020, in an uncertain 2021, and say, nevertheless, my reward is certain. Nevertheless, my hope is secure. Nevertheless, even when death comes, He will not abandon me, but he will take me to himself. Let's pray. Father, 
how easily we, distracted we are by the trivial, petty things of this life. How easy it is for us to lose sight of the fact that even the good riches and blessings that you give to us are meant to point us back to you. We can enjoy this life. There are many blessings that you have given us by your grace that we can still enjoy even though this world is broken, even though we feel that brokenness in ourselves. But Father, thank you. We praise you. We glorify you that because of your son suffering death in our place and being raised again and ascending to the right hand of power and authority that we know that every single son and daughter of God you will take to be with yourself and that that joy and that delight is far beyond anything that we can imagine or even begin to describe. Father, create in the hearts and the minds of the people of Edgewood a growing realization of how fleeting and how temporal this life is, that we would hold on to these things very, very loosely for the sake of grabbing hold of eternal riches and glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Andy will lead us in a concluding chorus. Is Terry around? Terry Hathaway? Yes, ah, yes, right there, incognito on the front row. Uh, Terry will come after the, uh, the song. We'll ask for budget affirmation, and that will conclude our service for today. Please do not leave. Merry Christmas. Would you join me in singing about God with us, Emmanuel, a wonderful song as we close. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, His name is called Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in Thank you. You may be seated.